This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. So we've been talking about public health. And on another note, Ontario public health experts are launching a new research centre focused on improving immunization rates and countering unfounded fears fueled by the anti-vaccine movement. It'll be the first academic centre of its kind in Canada to focus primarily on public perception of vaccines and exploring ways to boost confidence and vaccination rates. Now, this problem has a name, vaccine hesitancy, and it has a big impact on all of the rest of us. And, you know, I even wonder, why do we need this? Didn't we solve this problem decades ago? But... Here we are. And uh, right now we are going to Dr. Natasha Crowcroft, who is the chief science officer at this new research center. Dr. Crowcroft, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So where did the idea to do this come from? This has been an idea, a long time in gestation. We've been thinking about it for a long time and trying to figure out how to do it. But it really, um, it really started to crystallize about a year ago. Um, when we started to think about what were we going to do about vaccine hesitancy and also really recognizing that there's been a gap in Ontario. There's nothing like this um, in Ontario. Other provinces do have centers, but they're not quite like what we've got in mind. Um, and so, you know, I think anyone who's heard the news recently will have picked up what a growing issue this is. And we were very concerned. So I'm I'm so pleased we're now in a position where we can actually get going um, with this new centre. Do you have a theory about, I mean, okay, so I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was that this cockamamie theory that vaccines had a role in autism came out, but that's been debunked. The guy who was promulgating that, uh, you know, has he he's a fraud. The, all of this came out, but but the thing persists. What's your take on that? I, I find it fascinating on one level. I mean, it, it's more than 20, 20 years since that um, the paper was published in The Lancet that's been now retracted. Um, as you say, Wakefield's lost his license. But the idea just, just keeps on going. In fact, I, I even heard from somebody that the vets are getting having trouble getting people to immunize their animals because people are worried about the MMR and autism story. So, I mean, the story just has a life of its own that um, I'm not sure, you know, what we can do about it apart from keep putting out good information and trying to address all the misinformation that's out there. And we even, I mean, you know, I know a lot of people who see naturopaths and I know some naturopaths, and they're accredited in their own way, but they also say, you know, uh, we don't do vaccines. I mean, should that be where this is a profession that, you know, they get they get reimbursed, some of their services get reimbursed by OHIP? Do you know, what about that? 
that that's a, a, an issue that's been discussed quite a lot. I mean, I understand that people are looking for other ways to address their health problems, and um, and I don't have any problem with people going to alternative medicine to um, to try and seek other ways of addressing issues. And if it works for them, then that's fine. Um, I think it's really, really clear the science on um, on alternative ways of trying to prevent vaccine-preventable diseases is that they don't work. There isn't an alternative to vaccines. Um, the science behind vaccines is um, is so strong. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard it said, well, actually, what do you call something, you know, if, if, if it's alternative medicine and you get scientific proof um, that it works, you call it medicine. You know, that's... <laughs> That's one of the ways of thinking about it. We we really use evidence to drive our, what we recommend for, for patients and for parents. Um, and when it comes to vaccines, the science is just so incredibly powerful. Um, and one of the things that disturbs me slightly is is this issue of how do we get that across to parents? Like, um, you know, there was a survey in Canada um, recently where parents, most parents actually responded saying that they thought the science behind vaccines was still unclear, which is just so far from the truth. When you work in the field, you see that, you know, it, it, there's so much scientific evidence that we, we have nothing to discuss when it comes to science. But I think that that is part of the issue. You know, when you don't see the diseases and you don't really hear about why it is we, we vaccinate and, and how good our, our data are and how hard people are working to make sure vaccines are safe and effective, then you kind of forget what it's all about. And it's easy to say, OK, well, maybe I don't need this. Uh, and that's just not true. So uh, is most of what you're going to do in the realm of education trying to get this message out? Or is it actually going to be other research? Because as I said, you know, we've known this for a long time. Yes, absolutely. So there's several different ways we want to approach uh, the issue. Um, firstly, I think when it comes to education, it's not really um, so much an issue. It's not so much about educating parents. That's where people tend to go to first. We're more interested in educating healthcare providers and giving them the tools they need, um, either the healthcare providers of the future, to make sure they don't leave university without everything they need to be able to um, counsel parents and patients effectively, um, but also existing healthcare providers who want updating. Because many of the people who are out there working in the field, when they when they qualified when they finished all their qualifications, there, there wasn't really much to discuss when it came to vaccines. People knew why they were important, especially older healthcare providers. So they may not have everything, all the information they need or the tools they need to deal with this new world where people are are questioning. So that's, that is one way, really focusing on education of our students at, at the University of Toronto. Um, the other thing I think we do to help convince people is do great science and communicate that effectively. And there are fantastic scientists at the University of Toronto um, doing amazing work. Like it's such a privilege to work with them and, and so fascinating to hear about what they're doing. Um, and we're actually, we're having a symposium next week, which we're going to discuss some of this work. Um, and so if we can communicate that work more effectively so, so everyone understands just how much is going into these programs. And um, we know we're standing at a kind of the dawn of a new age for vaccines where Science is moving on, and we have new vaccines in the pipeline that are going to change, really change life for a lot of people. It's been very focused on kids, but I think going forward, we're going to have vaccines that are tailor-made for older people, for um, for people with immune problems, um, for pregnant women, you know, new ways of protecting very young babies, new ways of protecting people who've got other illnesses. And, that, and the science behind a 
all of that is developing. We've got amazing people working on infectious diseases and discovering how to combat um, these organisms using molecular methods. And we've got people working in data science who are using artificial intelligence to understand the data we're collecting. We have enormous amounts of data, and sometimes there's more than we can deal with, and, and so we're finding these new methods of, of finding patterns in the data. So there's incredible things going on, and that, that's another way in which this center can really um, you know, bring the science out and show it to people and say, look at this amazing stuff. Look what we can do now. Okay. Dr. Natasha Crowcroft, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So we're opening the phone lines. We want to hear from you. First of all, are the rules strict enough? You know, supposedly kids can't go to school unless they're vaccinated, but there are all these large numbers of exemptions. Why is that? And Zoomers, older people, you know, sometimes older people aren't keeping up with their vaccinations and they don't realize because you think, oh, I got all of that, you know, way back when in the dark ages when I was a kid and I'm done and maybe you're not done. So right now, first, I'm going to bring in Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. She's a family physician. She's here with me in studio. Hi. Hello there, Olivia. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let us focus on first on an older demographic. So what does this mean for older people? I can summarize it in like two words, low-lying fruit. And this is the easy medicine to be had. I'd suggest you make an appointment with your doctor and talk about vaccinations. Because when we talk about disease burden, a lot of it falls directly on the shoulders of patients over the age of 65. And it's very concerning. Why should anyone in the modern day and age die from pneumococcal disease? That's a, a type of pneumonia. Why should anyone have to suffer shingles? Why should anyone have pertussis? Do you know? Do you have what any is idea? pertussis? Yeah, I, that's a whooping cough, that oh, evil cough that can cause oh. you to stay up all night coughing so you fracture a rib. That's what, that's what it is. And how many cases do you think there are a year in Canada? You tell me. I thought it was wiped out. Wasn't it wiped out at ah, one point? Wrong. Not wiped out. Sorry to say, 4,000 cases wow. in 2017, according to the World Health Organization. That is abysmal. In Canada. It's abysmal. 4,000 cases just in Canada. Okay. Just in Canada. So people who are coughing so hard, it's, they crack a rib. They stay up all night. And people have known coughs like this. And they, there's no reason why they should be happening. We should be vaccinating against them. Okay. Let's take a couple of calls. We've got Diane in Toronto. Hi, Diane. Diane, are you there? She, okay. Diane, I'm giving you one last chance. Hi, Libby. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, regarding your previous guest there that's talking about educating everyone about vaccines, I think we've gone way past this thing about educating people. We need to make it a law. Your kids are not vaccinated. They don't get to go to school unless, of course, they have a medical condition. Well, presumably and that is the thing, but there, I mean, I don't get it. Why, why all these exemptions that are not related to medical? Well, there shouldn't be any exemptions other than that. You know what, and Diane? Also, I so appreciate your calling. I have to tell you, the, the provinces that do what you're suggesting, they see a big increase in vaccination success. So Ontario and New Brunswick are currently the only provinces in Canada that actually mandate vaccination in order for school attendance. 
You know, so what do we see? Higher vaccination rates when that happens. So I thank you so much for that comment. But, I but, my, why, comment but was, my other comment was, uh, if they don't vaccinate their kids and their kids get sick, OHIP doesn't cover it. They're on the hook for the medical uh, That's not fair to their kids, really. Uh, no, OHIP does cover it, actually. So. Well, yeah, no, no, no. You think you're, Diana's thinking that would be a deterrent, but yes. you can't, you can't uh, punish children for having stupid parents. No, well, I'm not punishing the children. The children will get the health care, but the, the, the bill comes to the parents afterwards. I, well, well, that's uh, that's a that's a major problem. That's, well, I agree that's not that, going to work. Know, we, you know, in order for a civilized society to work, we need to be civilized. But that extends well, to children who do not have a voice in, in this. Okay, Diane, thanks for your call. Let's go to John in Brampton. Hi, John. Hi, Libby. Um, I guess just more a comment that uh, the, the proof is there with regard to. Um, the uh, the effectiveness of the uh, of the vaccines. We have laws on the on the books. I'm sure we probably hundreds if you look it up about protecting children. So I don't think we need to do another major study on this. Let's just enforce what we've got going now. Well, it's it's difficult, right? Because on the one hand, we say there we are we're entitled to our civil liberties. And on the other hand, we say it's not fair for you to take your child who's sick and let them go to school and infect my child. You know, so these things are kind of at a crossroads. So we turn to our governments to decide these important points. I am, I am favoring mandating vaccinations. I, I think that's, we cannot look to the entire public, which can be very fickle in determining what its, what its wants and needs are. You know, I think that people who are educated, who spend their lives trying to understand vaccinations, we know that vaccinations save millions of lives every year. We know that vaccines decrease the spread of preventable diseases that were, you know, so I, I would favor that, but there is another side to this issue. Okay, John, thanks for that. I'm here with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. She's happy to answer your questions about whether your vaccinations are up to date. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And Dr. Gorfinkel, so you're saying that the real anti-vaxxers are only a small percentage. So who are all these other people that are, quote, hesitant, and how do you deal with them? I know. That's actually the truth. The small percentage is 1.8% who are truly vaccine haters, who won't get it probably no matter what we do. But if you look at the stats, 97% of Canadians surveyed agree that vaccines are both safe and effective. So that's the vast majority. The bigger problems we have are barriers to getting the vaccinations. We don't have recall systems. When's the last time you had a call from your doctor? Libby, come on in. It's time for your pneumonia shot. Like, that's not happening, and we need those recall systems, whether they're in the form of an email or a phone call, and we don't have catch-up plans for missed doses and Perhaps, arguably, we should be be doing home visits from nurses to give vaccinations. Okay, but be, beyond that, somebody comes into your office and they, they don't want to take the vaccine. So do you tell them that they're being dumb? <laughs> no, I absolutely do not. I try to set the stage for trust. As a family doctor, I'm at a huge advantage. And so is the patient. We have this long-term relationship. 
And ultimately, a lot of that relationship has its basis, its very foundation in the trust that I'm given. And I take that trust very, very seriously. So what do you tell them? I try to listen to and understand what are their concerns. A surprising number are just worried about the pain of vaccination. What are the what's the potential for immediate side effects? Like so I try to address their concerns for what they are. I try to tell them what what is the true risk and the true risk is unbelievably low. The risk of disease is unbelievably high. Okay, let's take a call from Melanie in Creamore. Hello there. Oh, hi Libby, how are you? Fine. Good, good. Anyways, a question for Dr. Gorfinkel. She was talking about uh, 4,000 cases of pertussis. I'm wondering, is that like within the last month, the last year? Is that Canada-wide? or? You know what? Thank you so much for your great question, Melanie. I was giving World Health Organization statistics that came from 2017, and they're surprisingly consistent. Like if you look at 2016, 2015, they're usually around that number. So pertussis, is, it, it does cause a surprising what we call burden of illness. Per year in Canada, 4,000. Yeah, we're talking per year. So okay. it's just... Um, Do you have I your have shot, answer. Melanie? Um, probably not. Um, I have another question, though. Out of the 4,000, so if we're saying there's not that many anti-vaxxers at this point, percentage-wise, I don't know if you know the percentage, but um, out of the 4,000, how many had been vaccinated? How many are vaccinated? One of the big challenges of pertussis is that vaccination over time does decrease. So the current recommendation is one dose of pertussis after the age of 24. So a single dose, that's all you need. Yeah, what I wondered, though, is uh, out of the 4,000, how many, uh, you must have some documentation, how many were had previous vaccinations for pertussis? You know, I hate to say it, I'm not actually sure of that number. I think a lot depends on how you look at it and what age group. The large, this much I can't tell you. Who dies from the disease? It's largely an infancy. Well, it but would be an interesting really answer to have. Over 65 yeah, certainly it do. would be an interesting answer to have because I'd like to know what's the effectiveness of these vaccinations. But I had another question too. I sort of saw in a newspaper locally that there was sort of um, what was it saying? One in sixty-six are are uh, showing children are showing autistic tendencies or autistic-related problems. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was in a, it was in a newspaper. So are you saying you believe that there's a connection between vaccinations and autism when that's been debunked well, for years? I don't know about the debunkness, but why would I read an article where it says one in 66 children are showing some sort of autistic tendency or autistic related problem. You, you know what this reminds me of, Molly. But when what's the take... connection to vaccines? I'm, I'm going to let no, you go and no, let no. Iris, I'm going to let you go and let Iris respond because we're almost out of time for the whole show. Melanie, thanks for your call. Okay, so uh, I think uh, we have a, a vaccine hesitant person there. Possibly, but I tell you, processus vaccination is 90% effective. You know, so measles is like 97% effective. The Shingrix vaccination against shingles is 97% effective. We're talking about common diseases here, low-lying fruit. And to sum it up, get your vaccinations, set up an appointment with your doctor. And pertussis, I mean, I have no idea. Do I have it? Have you had the vaccination? I guess you'd have to check with your doctor, you know, because you're talking about one single dose after the age of 24. So as long as you get one single dose as an adult. That was a few years ago. (laughs) I was 24. Let's not talk about how many years ago it is for me, too. I'm like, (laughs) the good old days. Yep. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
We are basically out of time here. What should our listeners, what should Zoomers do in terms of vaccines? Okay, so let me give you the the rundown. We want to go for the low-lying fruit first. So make sure you get your pneumococcal vaccination. So there's two shots out there. If you can afford it, we're talking some pretty big bucks, heavy-duty money. Uh, Prevnar 13, that's probably going to set you back around $150 or so. And then eight weeks later, you're supposed to get the government-covered vaccination. So if you can't afford the first one, get the second one because it's covered by the government. If If you're over over 65. Yeah. Okay. Or if you're high risk, your doctor may say it's worthwhile to get. If you've got chronic liver disease, chronic kidney disease, if you have an immunosuppression, then the Pneumovax 23. I I mentioned already one dose of pertussis. The shingles vaccination, ideally the Shingrix, that's going to set you back a pretty $300 for the two doses eight weeks apart. Or the government in Ontario only, unfortunately, covers Zostavax, which is a less if effective If you're between the ages of 65 and 70, but I believe they will be covering the other one. I am so impressed, Libby. You really know your material. Uh, uh. That's right, 65 to 70, just if you're in Ontario. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.